0: Well, good evening everybody. Welcome back. It is great to have you here. Want to move your chairs around and face this way. Great. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. But we are grateful to have you back here for for this week of Alpha. Um, Want to remind you um, about the Alpha weekend. I saw several of you signed up last week. Really want to encourage you to be a part of this. Saturday, October seven. We'll start with breakfast, great big breakfast, eight thirty, uh, and then we'll we'll have lunch at around between eleven thirty and noon, and go till about two thirty. Look, if you can only make it to the afternoon, make it to the afternoon. If you only make it to the morning, make it to the morning. Uh, but you just don't want to miss this. This this is just a really a highlight of Alpha, and so we we just would welcome you to to be a part of that. So you should have registration on your uh your tables tonight. So um and also okay, how many of you guys still have perfect attendance? Perfect attendance. Just let's see here. All right. Don't blow it. Just do not blow it. So uh we that's good. So <clears throat> tonight the topic is How can I resist evil? Now, I noticed the crowd is a little bit lighter tonight. So I'm not sure if people were afraid to be here or what that is, but Um, So tonight we're Alpha. It's week 6. It's page 66. I don't know that it's a coincidence, but maybe. It just could be. Just not sure. Um, But anyway, so so tonight we continue our introduction into the Christian faith. I, I, I hope you guys realize this. We are just scratching the surface. As we are in Alpha, there's, we, there's so many more things. We could go so much deeper. And tonight when we talk about how can I resist evil, it's, just, it's interesting to know that the Bible clearly and you know, clearly places evil on the person of Satan and demons. Now, I know that may sound strange to us, but in both the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, Uh, There's 47 passages that directly mention the person Satan and 33 more where it speaks of the devil. Those are predominantly in the New Testament. You'll see in your manual several areas in which like in the garden, the book of Job, the temptation of Christ. You see throughout the scriptures issues of demonic deception and oppression. And the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation that Satan, a created being, rebelled against God. A third of the angels went in that rebellion against him and that their desire and their job, if you will, they have made to oppose God and to destroy, I mean, this sounds kind of severe, extreme, but to destroy men and women, most importantly, by keeping us ignorant because if if this truly is if this truly is the word of god if this is what god has left us to be able to know him then one of the best ways to keep us from knowing him is to keep us out of this book and uh as i told you guys i i thought god was fine with me you know i i, I had a, I, I talked to a guy um actually shortly before his death uh in Alabama, he was a neighbor of our daughters and, and, <clears throat> and our son-in-law. And uh, went up to visit with him and, and he just had a major heart surgery. And, um, and we talked about just his relationship with God. And he said, well, I guess God just wasn't ready for me. And I said, um, maybe, maybe you could look at it this way. Maybe you weren't ready for God. And there's two ways of looking at that. And there is a, a readiness that the scripture tells us that, that we need to be ready if, if this is the truth. So, and the issue as it pertains to demons is not whether it's hard to believe. The issue is, is this true? Is it true? And think about this. Uh, well, here's the scripture, First John. This is not the gospel of John. This is john's letter to those who are in christ he says the purpose the son of god appeared the purpose the son of god came to earth the reason christ came from heaven to earth was to destroy the works of the devil that's so apparently there's something about evil the devil that jesus came to deal away with well here's what's written in the letter to jewish christians Says he himself, that is Christ, put on flesh and blood that through his death he might destroy him who has the power of death. That is the devil. Now, scripture that I don't have up here, but we've talked about before Jesus says to Martha, whose brother Lazarus has died, that, but again, here, don't just hear this scripture off way off in the distance, hear this tonight as if Jesus were speaking it to you. And actually, he, it wouldn't be in the scripture if it wasn't for you and me to hear. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And he who believes in me will never die. So this issue of death is not a physical issue of death because none of us is making it off this planet alive the death for eight is 100%. Okay, you may get 90 years as opposed to somebody getting 30 years, but that's going to happen. So Jesus is talking about a spiritual death, a death that is for those who refuse to recognize their need for a savior that they themselves are not their savior they cannot be their own savior so jesus came he put on flesh and blood died for our sins so that in his death he destroys death the death that you and i would have had to eternally suffer under and when jesus destroys his work this the devil's work in our lives he creates his own life in our life now that's true There's no greater news than that. There's no greater relief than that. Now let's talk about just four things to consider about Satan and demons as this may be something difficult. Because what we've been doing through Alpha is just trying to break stereotypes. We've tried to break stereotypes of of what the Bible is, break stereotypes of how do we have a relationship with God, break break all these types of things that we just kind of grew up in culturally, in our cultural but not biblical Christianity. So here's something Tim Keller, the late pastor and author Tim Keller, left us. Things to consider about Satan and demons. One, that we're being simplistic and naive not to believe. I mean... Why, because we've figured out a lot of things technologically, does that mean that certain things spiritually can't exist? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Maybe we're just being culturally narrow if we don't believe. Because most of the world does believe. Well, they're just not as enlightened as we Americans are, right? That must be it. They're not as advanced as we are. They're not as smart as we are. We want to make everything some type of illness. That There can't be a spiritual connection to that. Uh, you believe in God, why not demons? If the Bible is true and there are demons, there's no way to really respond to them successfully without being in Christ and being in the Bible. Okay, so, so, so these are some things that are clearly laid out for us. If there is a devil, as Jesus said, he wants you and me to take personally his work and you and I having a target on our back that he's desiring to hit square in the middle. According to Scripture, if we don't allow the work of Jesus to destroy Satan's work in our lives, then simply put, if this is true, Satan will eventually, ultimately, destroy our lives forever. It was Wayne Gruden, in his systematic theology He wrote this. He said, if scripture gives us a true account of the world as it really is, if scripture gives us a true account of the world as it really is, then we must take seriously its portrayal of intense demonic involvement in human society. Our failure, don't miss this, our failure to perceive that involvement with our five senses simply tells us that we have some deficiencies in our ability to understand the world, not... That demons do not exist. Well, I can't see them. I've never seen a demon. Well, maybe some of you would say that about certain people. But, yes, but that, the issue is whether you, can see them, whether you can see them or not is not the issue. There's lots of things that you and I cannot see. Like, for example, do you know what this is? Thankfully, it's not actual size. Okay? This, this is a dust mite. All right? Now, you've heard of dust mites, haven't you? Okay. I don't know if you've experienced dust mites. Anybody here allergic to dust mites? Okay. So, I'm sorry for you. Um, but right now, in your house, in your bed, according to scientists, there are thousands of these things in your bed having dust mite orgies, even as I am speaking. Now, I mean, th- I mean this is just Scientific. Follow the science, for heaven's sake, okay? So let me just give you a little bit of information here. Beds are a prime habitat a typical, where a third of life occurs. I'm not sure how many of you sleep eight hours, but approximately a third of life occurs. Um, a typical used mattress may have anywhere from 100,000, don't be concerned, don't run out of here right now, please, 100,000 to 10 million mites inside. of the weight of a two-year-old pillow can be composed of dead dust mites and their droppings. Mites prefer warm, moist surroundings such as the inside of a mattress when someone is on it. Isn't that great news? But I wanted to let you know, tonight's alpha is sponsored by MyPillow.com. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, is MyPillow.com. Thank you. So, anyway, you know, we've got to pay for this somehow. So thank, thank Mike Lindell for coming to the rescue. But again, here's the thing. Just because we can't see something doesn't mean it cannot affect us. For example, here we go. Okay, um, Petri dish. Do you, do you know, I'm sure there's a lot of scientists here that know what this is. This is actually the swine flu virus in a petri dish. Now, thankfully, they were able to isolate the swine flu virus very quickly. They were able to locate the, the very center of it and, and deal away with it quickly. But this is where they found the location of the swine flu virus. And that's <laughs> just... <Blah>. So, <laughs> anyway... So, but microscopes have been used to discover that things we cannot see with the naked eye are real. And before microscopes, we could only see the effects of the unseen world. Clearly, there are things that you and I cannot see that can harm us, right? I mean, we know that. I mean, I mean, how many of us right now are thinking, I never saw that COVID thing come on me. And the next thing you know, I'm down for the count, They are there and our inability to see them really has nothing to do with whether or not they can do us harm. But it's the microscope of scripture, if you will, the microscope of the Bible that brings us into the spirit realm to see things that you and I would not see, but for God using his word to put a magnifying light on that we may to a greater degree comprehend the presence of things that desire to deceive us and to do us harm. In ignorance, just like ignorance of physical things, ignorance of spiritual things does not exempt us from evil's effect. Uh, arguably, uh, ignorance may be the very effect of evil. Do, do you hear me? Being ignorant may be the a very effect of evil. Being an ignorant without knowledge. You know, where Satan would say, keep them out of that damned book. Well, that damned book, if true, is the only thing that undams us. Here's what, here's what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, if you abide in my word, if you live in, if you rest in, if you long to be in my word, you are truly my followers. That's just the word followers. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You're going to know the truth about what? You're going to know the truth about lies. You're going to know the truth about evil. You're going to know the truth about yourself. You're going to know the truth about God. You're going to know the truth about demons. You're going to know the truth if you abide in my word. You're my followers. You know me. You love me, right? You're getting to know me more. So you get to trust me more. And you're loving me more. And therefore, you're desiring to serve me more because you love me. And therefore, you want to know me more. So those are the things that, that, that we, we talk about here. So what are the devil's tactics? Just a few things here in your manual. Well, the Bible teaches that Satan has some pretty interesting and deceptive devices to keep us out of the pages of the Bible and to keep us from biblically thinking about him. And through the ages, we get these ghoulish and caricature-like images of evil. We get them through sometimes even religious but not biblical thinking. We get them through movies and TV, the arts, video games, music, various other, other media. And, and, and Satan's just all too happy to use the, the, the fiction of Hollywood or Halloween to get his point across. So let's just talk about just some things, just a little research here. Video games. Over 277 video games are violently demonic in their entire purpose. It's, it's really interesting. I, I did some very interesting, some interesting diving into uh, the, the purpose of these games and what they bring about and the issues of violence, etc. But there's just 277 plus, and some of the top, these are some of the top sellers that we're talking about here. Um, And then, of course, TV as well. I mean, did you know Lucifer got his own primetime show on Fox? Okay? I mean, that lasted for about five years. And then when they canceled Lucifer, Lucifer canceled the producers. Wasn't that interesting how he did that? Did They just got right past you. Okay. And then how about this? Anybody see the Grammy Awards this year? Grammy Awards, great. Sam Smith. Okay? Sam Smith and his entourage of demon impersonators singing the song Unholy. Um, Interesting guy. Um, And so here's them backstage just, you know, showing us a little bit more of themselves here. But uh, in 2000, around 200 horror films were produced. But by 2016, this number had risen to more than 1,000 according to the horror report. Are any of you subscribers to the horror report? Um, uh, Yeah, it's called The Times-Picayune. The genre... The genre now makes up more than ten percent of all feature films made. Okay, Annette and I went to a movie that I would really recommend to you, called *Nefarious*. It's anybody seen *Nefarious*? Okay, few of you saw *Nefarious*. Absolutely, biblical horror movie. It's really interesting. I'll, I'll go go look at the trailer when you get a chance. But you know, when you go to a movie, you you see the trailers for the type of movie you're about to see. Well, Nefarious is R-rated and considered a horror movie. So guess what the trailers were? <laughs> I have never, I don't know if any of you are horror movie goers, and I'm not judging you if you are. I, I could hardly make it through the trailer. Uh, I've never seen anything quite like this. And so, so th- there's all kind of great movies now, here. Now, how many Rambo movies had there been? I, I don't know. A bunch of them, right? I think there's been as many exorcist movies as there have been around. Here's the latest exorcist offering to us. The exorcist believer. Okay? Opening in cinemas Friday the 13th. So you don't want to miss that. Okay? So um, the trailers on this are interesting. And then, of course, um, the nun two. I, I, I missed the nun one. Um, but... But some of us who went to parochial school may be thinking, that was my Spanish teacher. Um, so just some really interesting, interesting part, things there. But it was C.S. Lewis. Remember C.S. Lewis? atheist become devoted follower of Jesus Christ. He says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, humans, can, can, can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, that is demons, are equally pleased by both errors. And hail a materialist, that would be an atheist, secularist, or a magician, tarot card reader, uh, palm reader, seance facilitator, etc., with the same delight. See, too much emphasis, no emphasis. But if the scripture is true, that, then Satan fights on two fronts and has two intentions. One is to keep you and me out of the wheelbarrow, so to speak, to keep us from trusting Christ, to keep us out of the words of this book. And then, secondly, if he fails there, I know there are several of you here tonight that are in Christ. His effort is to keep you from living in the fullness of the joy and the meaning and the purpose of knowing Jesus as personally and as powerfully as he des- desires. So his his aim, if not in the wheelbarrow, is to destroy us forever forever. Um, This is what Jesus Jesus gives Satan's resume right here in the 10th verse of the 10th chapter of God, of John. For the thief comes only. He doesn't take any time off to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I mean, his his entire purpose, 365, on leap years 366, 24-7, is to... Keep us from coming from Adam into Christ, out of death, into life. And how he does that, particularly with us Americans, is so subtle. Is so very subtle. Let me not get ahead of myself. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those in Adam, the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So his, uh, his desire is to keep us blind. How does he keep us blind? Well, if what the scripture says is true, is by trusting in so many things, and having so many liberties in our, in our gr- great free country, with our, whether it's finances, or your job, or your family, or your reputation, those things make us think everything is just fine. And it may be, physically, temporarily, for a while. But what if those are the very things that are distracting us, that even, let's just say, Satan would be using, demons would be using, to distract us from seeing that my eyes are not seeing in the long run, and even right in front of me, what I need to see. There's a, there's a scripture from Psalm, in the Psalms 119, that says, God's word, if you will, God's word is a lamp to my feet. In other words, I see what's right in front of me that I could trip over. But it's also a lamp to my path, a light to my feet, a lamp to my path. It helps me in the dash, and it directs me into the line. Do you see that? So his word, his word giving to me, his love letter to me, is that to be a lamp to my feet, pardon me, a, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path right in front of me and in the long run. That's what God's word is supposed to do. And if what the scripture says about Satan and the demons, his job is to keep me blind, to not be able to see this or that, the dash or the or the line, and so. So, how does he do that? Well, he works through lies. I mean, he is. Here's what Jesus had to say about Satan. He says, he's talking to the. And I, it's interesting when he says this. He is talking to the the religious leaders of the time. I mean, these are the religious muckety mucks. They they are the ones that people look to. He says, you belong. But they're really meologists is what they are. They're validating performance record folks. They're blessed vending machine people. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Well, he's getting in their face here. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. So he released the truth for a lie, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So if Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly mine. You will know the truth about me. And therefore, if you know the truth about me, you'll know the lies that the enemy is attempting to perpetrate upon you. And that truth will set you free and so he works through lies. He works through, I would say, meological religion, where I think I am my own savior. Where yes, I go to church, yes, I pray, but still my relationship with God is based upon me and how good I'm doing and what God gives me and doesn't give me is based on me. And if we just think through that thinking that so many of us that I held on to for my my whole life until God, I believe, opened my eyes, I was my own savior. I was trying to be good enough. It's either going to be one way or the other. Either I'm going to be my savior or Christ is going to be my savior. So religion is a deceptive thing. He does this by removing God from the public square. I mean, look at this. You think back to 1963. What does the Supreme Court do? The Supreme Court rules God out of the public square, out of public schools. And how have things improved so much since then? Do we not have a better world since we have become increasingly cellular? Cellular. <laughs> That's good. Secular and cellular. Um, and increasingly individualistic. We should be individuals. We are made to be individuals. But the religion of individualism is a very difficult road. So, And what else does he do? He distorts the truth about God. Okay, if, Hey, if you come to Christ, forget your life. You're not going to have any fun anymore. All your friends are going to leave you. Um, you're going to get a one-way missionary ticket to Africa. That's going to be the end of it for you. Um, and But you you're going to get to spend more time on Bourbon Street. That's the good news. But not with a hurricane in your hand, but with a big wooden cross you know, and a microphone. Okay? That's what's going to happen. God's going to make you poor. You're going to give all your money away to, to some, free, some freaky television evangelist or, or church. Um, but worse yet... Worse yet, if, if you come to Christ, you're going to have to dress up in black and white and serve cake at the next Alpha. <laughs> You've seen these people. You've gotten to know them. Blank stare over their faces. They don't know where they are. Um, you know, I, I have a, a, a very dear friend um, that um, he and I were, were best friends in high school. And uh, he, uh, we, he goes to Tulane, um, I go off to LSU, uh, we stay in touch, um, gets a chemical engineering degree from, uh, from Tulane, goes to work for Union Carbide as a process engineer, then he goes off to Stanford to get an MBA and I just you know was working my way through the four plus year program at LSU. Um, and, uh, but my sophomore year at LSU, um, I, I, I believed that Jesus Christ is the son of God and I surrendered my life to him and I began to tell my friend about this and he was, he was a religious guy and so he would listen, kindly listen, um, but not, not that much, but we would continue to have lunch and I would talk to him, uh, just about this relationship with Christ and talk to him about the Bible and we'd have conversation um fast forward to 1993. i 'm having this conversation with renee i want I, I want to just kind of let you in on it so he 's having a very difficult time understanding how wait a minute you mean i don 't have to do anything I just surrender my life to jesus and then then i, I, I but i, I don 't know how to do that um and and we 're talking about how he just there's no way any of us can be good enough. So I talked to him about. I gave him this analogy about um, getting on an airplane, and so I told him, I said, I said, just imagine this: um, you you go up because he's concerned that if he receives Christ, life's going to be even harder. You know, I got to do everything I'm doing plus now I got to do this Christian thing. Um, I said, I said, no, it's not like that. Just, imagine just going up the the, the jetway. And as you, as you get to the plane, there is Jesus standing there, arms outstretched saying, I am so glad you're here. And he takes you and he hugs you. And then suddenly he jerks you around and takes you to the cockpit and throws you into the pilot seat and says, now you're going to have to fly this thing. And you better not screw up because you know what happens. If you're flying a plane and you screw up, you screw up, you go down and that's not good. I said, I said, that's what you're thinking. You're thinking now you're going to have to live a higher standard. You're going to have to be better than you've ever been before. You're going to have to really up your game. If you're going to be in Christ, I said, that is the furthest thing from the truth. It is so totally antithetical to the, the Christian message. He said, so let's back up. We're going down the jetway. Here's Jesus welcoming you. Just be there. And he embraces you with the most loving embrace. His eyes penetrate your heart. You see love like you've never seen before. Mercy and grace and total acceptance. And he embraces you and says, I am so glad you are here. But instead of turning you to the cockpit, he gently takes you to first class and he buckles you in and he says, Now look, we're about to take off. And I want you to understand this. As we're flying, we are going to hit some serious air pockets. This plane is going to rock one way and the other. Do not come out of your chair. And try to come through the cockpit door and take over. I've got this. I'll prove to you that I can take you from here to there. It may be rocky along the way, but I've got this. I've already proven I've gotten this. And so I I shared that with my friend. I went back to my office. I got a phone call for him several minutes later. I said, hey, this is what he says to me. Quoting, that damned airplane analogy. <laughs> I said, okay, what about it? He said, I see. I see what you've been telling me. It's not about me trying to be a better me. It's about ex- surrendering control of my life to the one who came to live the life I couldn't live and die the death I would have had to so that I could, so to speak, sit in first class, rest in him. I was so excited. And I just watched the change in my friend, the joy in my friend um, in the midst of uh, the challenging business situation he was going through. So we had lunch together about... Four, five weeks later. I don't remember how long it was. It was a while later, but I'll never forget this. So um, he, says, he says to me, he says, Frank, do you know what took me so long to finally surrender to Christ? So I'm pulling out my pen here because this is going to be good alpha material. I mean, this is, this is, this is going to be good. I'll be able to use this. He said, Frank, what took me so long to surrender my life to Christ was you. I put my pen up. I said, what do you mean? He said, you, I was afraid I was going to have to become like you and I do not want to be anything like you. So I thought about that for a minute and I thought, that is so good because so often you can see somebody standing up here talking about all this stuff, or the people, your table facilitators, and you just kind of think, ah, oh, these people are just, you know, they got it all together or whatever. Maybe you don't think we're all as weird as it can, can be. But you just be you in Christ. You just be who you are. Tonight, if you say, okay, I'm, I'm getting on the plane, and I'm going to let Jesus buckle me into first class. You just be you. What are you going to do tomorrow? Do it. You're going to go to bed tonight i'd suggest you brush your teeth okay. just be you with christ in you and then you watch like i watched and like so many in this room have watched jesus do the changing he does that you don't make that happen i didn't make that happen i wouldn't be standing up here he did that but you know what? You don't know that till you know that. And there's only one way to know that. There's only one way to know that. And so, he is uh, desiring for us to know that. So, let me just... So, the clear declaration of the Bible is that the only way one can continually, increasingly, and ultimately successfully, there's a lot of adverbs, resist evil, is to first escape evil. Is to first escape evil. Paul writes to the church in Colossae this verse. For he, that is Jesus, delivered us through his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, out of the dominion of darkness, or the domain of darkness, a place, uh, we would call that in Adam as well, and transferred us... Now, he's speaking to those who are in Christ. He's he's reminding them, this is where you are, but this is now where you are. You were in the domain of darkness, but he's transferred you. He did that. You didn't do that. You have to believe in validating performance record to where you... So you would have to deliver yourself. You would have to transfer yourself. He did that. So if the scripture is true, you don't do that. I don't do that. Jesus is the one that does that. He delivered us out of the domain of darkness and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We see two addresses here. And this is what I want us to talk about just as I'm going to be done in just a few minutes. There is a change of address, but there's also an exchange of lives. So let's talk about this. Here is the locale of the dominion of darkness. Here is the kingdom of light or also called the kingdom of God's beloved Son, here's our Adam cup, here's our Christ cup, okay? Now, according to the scripture, that when we are callous, confused, curious, or convinced, we are still in the dominion of darkness. Now, look, this should, this should begin to bother you when I'm telling you this. Who the hell are you, Frank Loria, to tell me where I am with God? Well, I'm nobody, and I'm not telling you where you are with God. You have to tell yourself that. You really do. But what a great place this is to think, okay, well, where am I? Where am I? Don't, doesn't matter what I say. I've told you. Don't believe a, a blessed word that I'm telling you. If, but examine and ask questions and see if this isn't the truth. So this is just what the scripture says. So again, I may be the, the, get upset with the Bible, but... Uh, or committed, okay? This this is what's housed in the dominion of darkness. Satan, sin, death, slavery, bondage, meology, living under a validating performance record where you have to be your own savior, savior believing lies and deception, if, if the truth is the scripture, fear and uncertainty. Nobody likes fear. Nobody likes uncertainty. But that's what the dominion of darkness, this is what cultural Christianity This is what the world's religions give us. In the kingdom of light, there is Christ. There is forgiveness, total acceptance. Life in the dash and in the line. Freedom, power in Christ over sin. Salvation, being rescued. Clarity of thinking. Truth and love and assurance. Uh, But if we look at this, we just have to see that there, there are scriptures that supports this to help us think this through. Let me just share with you a scripture that Paul writes to the young pastor, Timothy. He says that God may perhaps grant them repentance. Now, what is repentance? Repentance means simply you're going this way and you turn around and now you're going this way. It's turning from a worldview of beliefs and saying, no, I want to go this way now. I want to go this way now. So he may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Okay, now remember this. Well, I'll I'll finish reading this. And they may come to their senses and escape. Escape from what? The snare of the devil after, now catch this. Now this is what the Bible says. After being captured by him to do his will. Now think about what that scripture is saying just for a minute. Captured by him to do his will? What does that mean? I mean, I don't feel like I'm out beating the drum for Satanism. And I'm sure you're not. am not saying you are. But if I am held in... Adam's race than then I am by not being in Christ, living out a life that is his will. His will is to keep me from Christ. Then, then Paul writes, Luke records Paul's words in Acts, when God speaks to him, that God is using him to open their eyes those who, specifically here it's Gentiles, those are the non-Jews, so that they may turn, watch this, from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. This word means holy, accepted, righteous, accepted by Faith in me a place among those who are sanctified by faith. in me. Where's that place? That place is in Christ That's where that place is so understand this here that there is There's no neutral ground you understand there is no median here You and I are either in the dominion of darkness or we are in the kingdom of light We are either in Adam or we are in Christ. I've heard some people say well I got one foot here and one foot there. I'm with all due respect No. No. It doesn't matter how good you are or how much better you may be than somebody else. If the scripture is the truth, this is not the place I want to be. But again, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we opened in a short prayer, ask God, "Is is is this the truth? If so, I don't want to believe a lie. I want to be free. And so... We see these two scriptures that God would grant them leading to the knowledge of the truth. Don't you want to know the truth? I want to know the truth. I don't want to believe a lie. You don't want to believe a lie. I want to come to my senses if I haven't come to my senses. I want to escape the snare of the devil if there is such a thing. I don't want to be captured by him to do his will. And there's not one of us in this room that would say, oh yeah, I would love to live my life captured by the devil to do his will. Not one of us. Ah. So, what are the things we look at? He is if what the Bible tells us is the truth. He is an accuser. He accuses all the time. He tempts you to do something, and then you do it, and then on the backside of that, he accuses you for doing it, doing it, and puts you on a guilt trip. Anybody ever experienced that? Oh yeah, yeah. How often? So here we're helped by Tim Keller again here with some of these accusations that. The devil wants to have us look more at our sinful work than the Savior's work. He wants us to be more navel-gazers than looking up and looking into what God's Word is. He wants us to obsess over looking at past sins, selfish actions, where the result of the sin cannot be undone. Now, there may be some of you here tonight under that very canopy of guilt. Something you could have done and you didn't do it and now you can't undo it. To think that current difficulties are a result of punish or punishment for past sins. That would just be kind of karma ish, wouldn't it? That is not biblical. Okay. That you know, you did that, you said that, now you now you're, you know, you, you sowed to the wind, now you reap the whirlwind. Congratulations. Just deserts. You deserve that. That would not be a biblical position. Or, cause us to believe that we wouldn't have sinful desires. Or we wouldn't be in the mess we're in if we were really followers of Christ. Now, this is a good, this is a really good uh, slide for whether you're in Adam or in Christ. Cause us to believe we wouldn't have the sinful desires or we wouldn't be in the mess we're in if we're really in Christ. Can I tell you this? The Bible clearly says, in Christ, you will have sinful desires. In Christ, you will cave into sinful desires. In Christ, you will not be perfect until you are with him. I think I talked to you all about this last week. My children are perfectly my children, but they are not my perfect children. Did we talk about that last week? Okay, thank you. I just want to know if you're listening. Okay, so they are not perfect but they, are, they could not be any more Annette's and mine than they are. Because they were born physically ours. When we are born again, we are born spiritually Christ's. And though you and I continue to fail and do selfish things, we are in Christ. And those things, you will find them as I have found them, begin to slowly Fade away and then come back again and then slowly fade and then come back again. But here's the thing. I'm in Christ. My security is in Christ, not in my performance. And that does not mean for a second I just live like however I want to. Because the more I've known him, the more I trust him. The more I trust him, the more I love him. The more I love him, the more I want to serve him. Which makes me want to know him more so important for us to see. See, because here's the thing. In Revelation 12, 11, John writes, The accuser of the brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ, that accuser who accuses them before God, before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They, that is those who are in Christ, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Okay, so, so hear this. They overcame him how? Not by their own blood, not by their own sweat, not by their own tears. They overcame him by someone else's sacrifice, someone else's giving of themselves. And the word of their testimony is I believe that. I'm with him. I trust him. I got on board the airplane and let him snap me into first class. I trusted. I relinquished control. Of myself to him. Did I understand everything? Do I still understand everything? Not even close. I don't even know the questions to ask, much less say that I understand everything. But he is overcome, this accuser, by the work of the cross and through the revelation that I have that says, Jesus, no more do I want to be a meologist. I want to be a uologist. <laughs> I want to trust you completely completely and so when we look at those accusations i want to go back to that for a minute when we look at those accusations the the good news is this that that when jesus hanged on the cross some two thousand years ago he died if what the bible says is true for every sin past present and the ones you and I don't even know that will commit yet, because he's not getting back up on the cross every time somebody sins. <laughs> How crazy would that be? So Christ, the Bible even says that Christ was. Now I'm not going to say that now because I be like, why? That's I don't want you to do why any more than you're doing that already. But he died for sins, past, present, and future. He completely covered them. They are dealt with through his cross completely. And here's what Paul writes to the Romans. There is therefore now, now, now is always now, right? No condemnation, no death, no hell for those who are, where? It's a two-letter word, in Christ Jesus. Why? For the law of the spirit of life. In Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death, from the dominion of darkness, from Adam's race. How much condemnation? None. Why? Because Jesus drank the wrath that, was des- that I deserved to the dregs. If what the Bible says is true is every bit of wrath that should have been poured out on you and me, was poured out upon Jesus Christ. And that accrues to me when I say, Lord, not my will, but your will. I surrender to you. I relinquish control of my life to you. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. So, how can I resist evil? First, escape that's the most important point don't you think um and once we escape then we begin to see what life is like in christ not worry free not trouble free not tribulation free and not even satan oppressing free but guess what there's a cap on the top of this cup and nothing's getting in there to take any of us out. That's his promise. No one, John ten twenty eight, No one shall snatch you out of my Father's hand. He who began this good work in you, he himself is faithful to complete it to the day of Christ. So the issue, I would say, is more, how can I forever know I have escaped the dominion of darkness? It's simple. Receive His hug and receive Him seating you in first class and trusting Him that He who began will complete. He who defeated death and the grave for us is the one who defeats death and the grave in us. So that even though we die physically, we will never die spiritually. And we can know that joy in the midst of this fallen world in the dash, right now, and forever on the other side of our last heartbeat, if that's what the scripture says is true, and I put to you tonight, it's truth, it's truth, and I hope you'll consider that. So next week, we are in session eight, so it's like tonight, how can I resist evil? Next week, who is the Holy Spirit? So we go from bad cop to good cop. Tonight, we're going to talk about who is the Holy Spirit. I knew nothing about this growing up. This Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit a he? Is he, is he an it? What is he? That's session eight. And then on the Alpha weekend, we'll be talking about how. Uh, what does the Holy Spirit do? We'll do that Saturday morning. And then how can I experience the life of God through the Holy Spirit? So... Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for those of you who are watching live stream. Dickerson, thank you for watching from Virginia. We appreciate you being here. And thank you all for being here tonight. Let's take a quick break, bathroom break, coffee, whatever. And let's get back to our tables. Thank you guys for being here.